right, welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer divide. I'm George K. with the vendor side. I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And this week, we're going back over events. In our notes, it says stuff like GPT-4, SVB. I feel like it's just alphabet soup, man. It's all acronyms of failure, big guy. <laughs> all right well let's get into it i mean a couple of things happened last week um so we'll start with gpt4 and uh we'll go from there so big old large language model coming out uh much more powerful many many times the parameters as the first gpt release um so i i want to emphasize for anyone who's not familiar with LLMs, there's this belief that, you know, if you just achieve massive scale, add more data, there's more accuracy, which to some extent is true. I've done a couple of tests on GPT-4 and it's working in ways that the other one wasn't, um, but it doesn't really make it any more reasonable, right? It's not an AI model that understands abstract concepts, but it is a faster and more sophisticated processor of text. But um, I think it is a, a misplaced belief that if you just continually make it larger, that it will somehow be more quote unquote accurate. Thoughts? It's interesting because like I read, I read kind of like that uh, article we were tossing around there um, from dark reading and, I think I ended up looking at it from more of a security lens, a security and compliance mm -hmm. lens, and what are the implications there, right? So I think we're still you know, too early to know what the implications will be for processing sensitive data, like through uh, a large yep. language model. Uh, in conversations I've had kind of both publicly at like panels recently and, and in private with other executives from organizations of all sizes, I've taken the position that uh, you know, it's careless to feed intellectual property through an LLM, LLM engine. Um, yeah. You know, that, that doesn't even progress to the point of it being a technical data privacy issue because we're not even past understanding the risk implications enough from a legal perspective to go that far. And it's hard to come up with compliance mandates when the law is still grappling with the issues in analog. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will definitely drop this article in the show notes. So first take on GPT-4, mm, jury's still out. But what George A is referring to is a article in Dark Reading where a data security service called Cyberhaven detected and blocked requests, quote, to input data into chat GPT from 4.2% of the 1.6 million workers at its client companies. That was the first time that I had seen numbers put to what we thought was a trend of people using it. Um, but yeah, for sure. Uh, I would be careful about putting anything in there because you're also just giving it over to the, the model to learn. Unless they watch and shoot, you see where this thing goes, just watch and shoot. They literally like slip this release in almost under the wire. You know, you barely heard anything about it, but you see people freaking out about it. For sure, yeah, and uh, not as open as the name would suggest. Um, there's a lot that's left to the imagination in the release notes, but um, yeah, we'll we'll keep working on. To pick up from a couple weeks back, the ChatGPT horror show, you and I had highlighted that trend or what we'd seen of a demo using a ChatGPT extension into Google Sheets to just sort of mass create 
you know, welcome requests or connection requests. And that just seemed like the height of uh, disingenuous human connection. But I had an interesting conversation with one of our listeners who shall go unnamed at the moment, but he's a seller, a uh, loan seller at an early stage startup. And he was asking for tips, which is always nice to hear on how to scale operations on essentially a shoestring. And so I, I said like, look, I, I'm not going to advocate that you use chat GPT to scale your outreach. This individual is known for wanting to do kind of the level of research that Maria was talking about. So we're already operating on the good side of the force for now. So I said, you know, what you could do is if you created a spreadsheet with this functionality in it, you could put in, you know, links to 10K filings, or you could put in, you know, website stuff and try to summarize it for yourself at scale so that when you're doing your outreach, you have more of that research to hand quickly rather than spending all of your time customizing that research, spend more of your energy on looking at the information and trying to, you know, come up with an approach that is more genuine and happy to say he took that advice. Um, so soon enough, we may have some data on, on how that affected uh, his prospecting, but we'll see. Well, again, I think it just it goes back to utilization, right? Like if you, mm -hmm. if you're using it as a tool that enhances what you are still bringing to the table at the core, then yeah. I think it's going to be great. If you're using it to shortcut your work altogether, that's where we run into problems. And, um, you know, that listener there is clearly the type of individual that, um, pulls up his sleeves and then puts in the work. Yep. That's, that's all we're saying still needs to happen. If you, if you would still want to talk about human connections, that's, that's the human part of the connection. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, yes, you raise a good point, right? Use AI to enhance. If you use it to do the lazy, Part, if you use it to replace parts of your job, you're actually training it to, <laughs> to replace, replace you. Yeah. <laughs> so, think about, yeah, let's let's not do that. Um, so the maybe the last note here on the LLMs, because God knows it's been in the news cycle enough, is I did come across a pretty useful app called Chat PDF. It's like chatpdf.com. Turns out. It's a German developer using the OpenAI API, which was newly released pretty fast on the programming. Um, so there's a free version. There's a paid version. Um, he basically uses the paid version to just pay for the API calls. So, you know, upload a PDF or give it a link to a PDF. And then the idea is that you can use it to, quote unquote, chat with the PDF, which is to, you know, summarize the main arguments, the counter arguments. It's basically like a chat bot meets cliff notes, I guess. So I experimented with it. I was like, okay, this is somewhat useful. The problem is I still don't fully trust the chat GPT interpretation. And I'm also always going to read the thing, um, you know, but I can see how it might be useful for note taking if you wanted to like revisit it or something. But I, I found that to be semi-useful is what i'll say yeah like I, I mean i have some thoughts on this um realistically i think it's going to be a shortcutting tool like any other um but i think it'll be more to uh verify routine sets of questions and that's where it's, its primary utilization will be 
Like I could imagine that this will make documentation reviews or assessments for compliance mm-hmm. monitoring or corporate and cyber insurance evaluations a lot quicker. Uh, security assessment questionnaires as well for procurement's sake would be processed much more quickly. Um, you know, that would expedite procurement processes across all sectors and domains that would make fucking everyone happy, especially our mm-hmm. friends in consulting. Um, all that said, I still believe there's going to be value in a trusted individual in the correct role along a decision process chain, having to review critical documentation to provide advisory to decision makers or, you know, in, in your case or in my case, the decision makers themselves are the ones doing the reading and the thinking. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have a crystal ball, but I have my human experience of living through and learning from you know, problem solving exercises throughout my life. I don't think this wave of evolution will be able to replace critical human decision making yet, but I do think that is the like direction that is generally trending towards. Yeah. And I saw a loom video that somebody recorded, which I'll try to dig out at Twitter, but it was uh, somebody using chat PDF to get at the meat and potatoes of an MSA agreement. Like what are the termination rules or uh, when is payment? You know, they were just trying to get, just trying to test like how quickly could they get the information that they would be reading for the most. But yes, at at the end of the day, someone's going to have to read it. Well, you know what, you're just from that angle, as, as someone who used to work SecOps in a big consulting firm, when you get a new client, a new contract comes in the SLA, that SLA sometimes can be fucking massive. If I had like a, a chat PDF tool, I would literally ask it for the salient points. Like, mm-hmm. what are my response time thresholds? What are my return thresholds for like reporting? What's my cycles? And you literally just like turn it into a one page kind of quick sheet. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to go through a hundred plus page fucking SLA document that's meant for like two other departments. Yeah. 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 And it, much faster than, you know, command shift F or something. You know, just trying to do like the fine <laughs> function. George is still in college, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh turn away from our AI overlords and toward human fallibility so let's talk silicon valley bank i don't want to do a financial analysis because neither one of us is qualified to do that and many more people have already done it i'm just going to say this one thing which is a lie because i got another thing to say already but (laughs) the one thing is you know the, the largely the financial conclusion is they were caught on the wrong side of interest rates and my i've dug into it i've read a lot i've listened to a lot and i still come back to the idea that like if you got caught on your heels because interest rates went up where have you been like the last 24 months when the fed was clearly broadcasting this is gonna happen gonna happen any day now gonna happen now gonna happen i mean I don't understand how you have an excuse for like, oh, it turned, we just got surprised. Like, there is no surprise. They were clearly broadcasting, this is going to happen. If you have this on your books, you should be planning for that. Yeah, like, I mean, I kind of have an idea how that would happen, like being in, you know, some executive rooms and kind of understanding how those conversations can go and where the prioritization is for 
uh, what are our immediate revenue, you know, what's our profit turnover this week, this month, whatever it is, right? And so they might, you know, in obscurity, this random date of an interest rate, right, hike is going to come up. They don't know, but they know they want profit today. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what, what drives that greed. But, you know, again, on the whole, this all goes back to a need to review uh, how capital is regulated in, in America and across the now globalized world because the economies are all interconnected, as we saw in 08. We've heard time and time again from you know guest after guest on our show that the obsessed with unrealistic sustained growth numbers, um, you know, leading organizations to all types of risky decision making, like that, that that's grimy sales and ownership mentality. You know, mm. sometimes financial institutions get included in that. In SVB's case, you know, my lid especially popped when I learned that they had been gambling depositor assets on mortgage-backed securities because that was a huge part of the whole subprime mortgage collapse. Yeah. Um, you know, according to Forbes, the bank's clients deposited billions. You know, they brought the bank probably about $6 billion in total deposits by the end of the first quarter of 2020. You know, nearly $200 billion in growth. Like two years later, the pauses come in, and like you said, they had invested all that debt. But as the interest rates went up, right, people started to get nervous. The BC funding dried up, and then suddenly the bank run begins. Mm-hmm. And then you have an entire industry now just holding its breath, praying that they don't immediately just collapse. Yeah. I mean, markets are 90% psychology. So, you know, if you get a bank run it's but so there are two ways to read this one is sort of the hot take social media which is that a bunch of people a bunch of let me qualify that a bunch of rich people threw a fit on social media caused a panic caused a bank run and got the u.s government to step in and ensure their deposits for higher than the law allows, right? So the FDIC insurance goes up to $250,000 for the, you know, the average bank holder. Um, but, you know, we're talking people about like billions, millions, you know, and they want to be made whole on essentially what is uninsured money. And so part of the class warrior wants to say like, well, free market economics, you don't like regulation until you need it, (laughs) you should feel that pain. Now, the real real about it, which is unfortunate, is that, you know, had the government not stepped in when it did, you know, they're probably their whole companies that wouldn't have been able to make payroll and payroll means everyone from, you know, the custodial staff that cleans the hallways to yes, the front end developer or whoever else, right. And so I think we need to be a little bit sensitive to that, but if anything, yeah. I just think again, like you have to go back to where the failure um, lies in this. And and the reality is it's not on the depositors, right? For bringing money in the bank. It's not on the businesses for, you know, they're just trying to run their business and then they're looking to grow. And that's, that's what capitalization is for. It's on the bankers who are responsible for managing that money responsibly. And when they make gambles, very high risk gambles and completely ignore warning signs that were very clearly laid out in like open media. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think there's a fiduciary responsibility that's been completely obliterated and somehow no one's going to jail. And that's a huge part of the problem. And it was a big part of the problem. 100%. In, you know, eight and 
I don't know, man, until there's accountability, until there's actual consequence, this is going to happen again. Yeah, they're not they're not going to jail yet. I don't know. They they take a long time to get those malpractice suits up. We did see, um, you know, uh, executive from the Wells Fargo fake account fiasco in 2020 is now going to jail, a uh, lifetime ban from banking and being mm-hmm. personally fined. Ooh, what was it? We'll have to fact check it. I think like $16 million. So mm-hmm. it takes a while, but you know, the wheels of justice turn slowly. Yeah. That's, a, that's all I'm saying though, man, until there's a negative consequence for unethical behavior. Um, I think it's always going to be a risk in how the system is kind of structured. And all we can do is kind of manage our own organizations with as much fiscal responsibility and open-mindedness and foresight as possible. Because this is one of those situations where we're in stormy waters, whether you think so or not. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of churn in many parts of the market. Um, I will also say that... Uh, politicians and cyber criminals never let a good disaster go to waste right <laughs> so there are there are definitely some scams out there already happening and so you know it's probably not a entirely shields up scenario but how well do your accounts payable people know what to look for in an email because they're going to be sending a ton of alarmist svp you know, click on this link or lose your money. Uh, and hey, it may, they may not even uh, be impersonating SVB. At this point, they can pivot into impersonating the FDIC, you know, or the SEC. Like they could pose as regulators trying to help you. Yeah, and you gotta love that uh, the new uh, GPG model is just gonna help, you know, phishing <laughs> actors structure even better emails. So it all kind of <laughs> bringing this all back together for the whole episode. That's right, full circle, full circle. Yeah. All um, right. What you got? Yeah. No. So I wanted to kind of take a second to talk a little bit how how tough these layoffs um, are right now in the mm-hmm. entire industry and on everyone's conscious, you know, especially after you know Facebook just announced their their latest. Yeah, man. Wolf. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know other organizations. You know, we've had friends of ours, um, friends of the show. You know, they they're going through some tough times right now. Um, it's a real, it's a very real problem. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm just trying to speak from the perspective of being an executive. Like, you know, it's very painful to have to say goodbye to people Mm -hmm. that you respect and you appreciate. And it wasn't really your choice to do so. Right. Like when, when there are circumstances that are completely out of your control, out of their control, you know, of almost everyone's control because the, the game in a, in a commercial organization is making money, and that's that's what we're here to do, right? Like, you know, if you're going to be a mature professional adult, you have to understand the nature of the beast that we're in. It's just unfortunate um, that the volatility of the last year and a half, especially, you know, it's man, it is tough on morale. It's 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 hard, you know. Um, but you know, I think. The message here is kind of it's hard on everyone, you know, and it's hard on the people that end up staying. It's, it's hard on, you know, the, the leadership that have to deal with these things. Like, I can't speak for a fang size organization because that's like running a small country, you know. So, how much does a cabinet minister care if like some low level civil servant gets fired? It's, right. That's how I equate it. 
Um, but you know, for a medium sized shop, like, you know, which is a, just an average sized organization, like, you know, you're, you, everyone knows everyone. Like, it, it's still close enough to be personal. And, um, I think when you talk about humanizing kind of the experience, and that's kind of part of the whole motif in the show, these times are very, very tough. And I think people need to go back to remembering kind of things from the state of empathy and know that, you know, there are ways to help one another out just because, you know, you have to say goodbye to someone in one respect or you can't, you know, try to facilitate an opportunity elsewhere or try to do something on the side. Yep. Um, I just think, you know, if we all try to remember to take care of each other, try to try to build networks, try to actually build networks for the purpose of providing opportunities to one another and giving people a hand up, um, I think we're going to help make this industry a lot better of a place to kind of exist in, in spite of all these cuts. Mm-hmm. It's going to turn into a great era of opportunity. I, I only hope maybe I'm just being a shameless optimist. Um, but, you know, as soon as the economy turns around and then, investment money starts, you know, normalizes again. My hope was we're going to see a new kind of um, new boom time in our industry because technology is advancing at such a rate that the innovation opportunities, George, it's, it's fucking endless right now, man. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. We're, we're tripping up on our own feet right now. And it's, it's just an acknowledgement, I guess, for myself and from the show uh, to everyone listening. Yeah, it's, it's tough times out there. And, uh, you know, take care of one another. Uh, we're going to get through this thing together. Yeah. I, I put a post out, uh, I don't remember, two weeks ago, maybe. I would say, you know, especially to the marketers who have spent, you know, the last 10 years getting highly paid to optimize clicks, you know, there's a higher calling out there. But this is just as true for InfoSec individuals, which is the money is flowing into climate tech. I personally believe the first trillionaire we see is going to be someone related to some staggering climate technology, like super efficient batteries production or something. But those companies are getting money hand over fist. They are critical to the health of the planet and they being critical are going to be targeted, right? So that could be a chance to jump in and maybe build a security program from the from the ground up, but protect technology that is highly sought after for IP theft uh, and uh, cyber espionage. But um, yeah, that is an industry that is growing and maybe that's where the talent needs to go for now. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, again, just kind of keeping aware, being mindful, reading, going back to basics, right? Like, let's stop rushing. Let's take a second to figure out what we're doing and educate ourselves. If we go back to that kind of mindset, I think things are going to get a lot better. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, keep working the networks, keep thinking about other people. And I think when you have those networks and you're engaged with them, you start to get some pattern recognition like, oh, somebody was just talking about this. Didn't you say that was your specialty? You know, you can start to make those connections rather than the sort of like hat in hand. Are you hiring this sort of position? Right? Well, you sort of start to make those more meaningful. I, I think what it really comes down to is it's about community, right? So if you yep. can turn your network into a community or, or you know, make your network part of a community, you're going to get the ultimate benefit from it because then there's a socialization to it. So it's not just about the cold transaction of, hey, I got a job I think you'd be a good fit for. It's, hey, so I'm having a barbecue in a couple of weeks, so I want to come down, you know, and, and you guys mm-hmm. might be laughing about something. You're like, oh, hey, I, I was just thinking the other day, I have a thing, right? 
yeah. at the end of the day, that's a that's a two minute part of an otherwise like you know six hour yes. plus interaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's about being yeah. a human being, man. And that's how you get the most out of it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's probably a good place to stop because I don't want to end on the downer side of layoffs, but on the we'll end on the upside of community since that's what the podcast is is all about. Um, do you have anything else? No, no, man. I'm like, I think we both had pretty tiring weekends, man. We got we got to gear <laughs> up for the work week, brother. That's right. Well, I'm excited. By the time this drops, I will have met Erica Eakins in person, Maria Graham in person. I'm off to Colorado. Um, excited to to meet more people on the road at RSA, Black Hat, more conferences. Hope to see all and any of you soon. Um, but until then, this is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks signing off. You know, do, uh, do wish some hello from your friend and to our listeners. You guys take care of yourselves. Talk to you guys next week.